Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. And um, Kevin, you are an urban cowboy, buddy. Oh, you really are. Uh, it, it's, it's always strange when you, when you come into a gathering where you're family. That's what the church is, right? It's, it's family. And sometimes we can have this, I don't know, this tendency to want to make it something it's not. We, we want to make it look a little more professional. But there's no such thing as a professional Christian. Um, there, there's really not. Like, we're, we're messy, right? And so the, the church is God's family. And so we can joke around. And that's why you'll hear about, who's this bearded wonder? No, not everybody gets that. But those who are close get that, well, that's Ryan. Well, why do you call him that? It's, it's a nice beard. Well, it's because his beard was like, it, he was beardiful right? I mean, he still is beautiful, but so that's why we say that. But if you're new to the gathering, you could be like, what in the world is that about? This bearded, what's, who, who says that? Family says that. That's who says that. Um, when you go to Thanksgiving dinner with your family, if you have a family, there, there will be jokes said if you would just gather with them that you just don't get. You know, someone's making a, a crack about little Johnny from when he was three, and, and there's an inside joke, and you can feel a little bit outside. But the beauty of, of the Church of Christ is, is if you're in Christ, you're family, period. If you go to another gathering, you're, you're in Christ, you're, you're family, right? So I have a buddy, Chris, here, and um, well, I have a lot of friends here. But Chris actually came from Indiana to join us today, and Chris... When we, when we planted Indiana, uh, he was one of the first people to show up. Uh, and he was going, I think you were finishing up your 17th doctorate at IUP. He's brilliant. Um, that's not a joke. I mean, 17 is hyperbole. But, uh, you know, and, and Chris, man, it was so good to watch the Lord just grow him and, and watch him fall in love with God and with the family of God. And he already loved God. He already loved the family of God, but he was just family to us. So I, I'm delighted that you're here for uh, uh, joining us this Sunday and um, pray for more of you here in Greensburg. Um, seriously, like we, we're not trying to be the coolest church in town. We're not trying to have lights, camera, action. We do know the TVs need to go up and, and we know all that stuff, right? Um, but, but we're, we're gathering in order to have the beauty of Christ elevated in our heart. We gather to worship. Make no mistake about it. We hope the coffee's good because that's a way to love you, right? Um, but I don't care about coffee in one sense. But I care about people. So therefore, we want to make sure if we have coffee, we have good coffee. We were just talking about candy earlier. By the way, this does not start the sermon. We'll get there, right? Um, but we were talking about candy, right? And so we used to do these, these outreaches for like Halloween. We'd be like, hey, make sure that, can you do that? You can. But maybe you can't, and that's okay. So we would say, make sure you bring good candy. Because we want to make sure kids know that Jesus loves kids, right? And how you do that is you give them good candy. And I said, no Tootsie Rolls, right? Tootsie Rolls are gross. I mean, they really are. If you like them... Praise the Lord, Jesus loves you, I love you, I just don't understand you, because Tootsie Rolls are nasty, right? It's, it's such gross candy. You're, you're offended too. All of you can get over it. When you give a kid a Tootsie Roll, immediately they think, okay, but they throw it away, because I want like a king-size Snicker bar or something, right? And so why do you give good candy? It has nothing to do with the candy. You want the, the child to know, like, we, this, you're just not an afterthought that we went to the dollar store and got candy from a year ago at Ollie's, right? Okay, 
seriously, you, you could do that, but it comes down to family. It comes down to family, and, and God's family are a messy people. We're just a messy people, right? He, he adopts the, the grimiest of kids, right? You, you're all much younger than me, except maybe a couple. Um, one, actually, as I think of <laughs> But the rest of you are all younger than me. You, you are. And so, <laughs> I didn't even say your name. You outed yourself. Um, and so you probably don't remember Cabbage Patch Kids, but, but if you do, cool. But they had this other thing called Garbage Pal Kids. And they were nasty. They had like snot on them and they would rummage in the garbage and they were gross. That's us. That's us. And God plucks us up out of the garbage and he, and he, and he makes us his and he cleans us up. But he loved you while you're in the garbage. Why do I say all that? Because it's going, to have, it's going to take effort to make sure this thing doesn't become slick. And you're like, well, you're doing good so far at not making it slick. Well, good. We don't want to be distracting, but we don't want you to think you're coming to an event. The world has enough of that. And if that's what you want, I have many church recommendations for you. I mean that. I really do. And I'm not even picking on that. This is not who we're going to be. For the city, church exists to magnify Christ. Right? We, we want to live in everything we do in such a way that makes you think, man, this ragtag bunch has a great Savior. He, he's amazing, apparently, because they're not, right? Um, although I, I think you're all awesome. We, we want to make disciples who then live to magnify Christ. A, a particular disciple, right? Those who will share the gospel of Jesus Christ and show by His grace transforming power that their lives have been changed. Now, we... We can't do that, but that's the normative life of the Christian. You come to faith, and he begins to work in you so that you look radically different than when the day he saved you. And that might happen quickly. That might happen over many years, but it's going to happen. And, and lastly, if, if it's healthy, if a church is healthy, it ought to multiply. Healthy things reproduce. Right, And so as our family goes and as our family grows, what we don't want to do is say, now we need a big, big church building, right? There's nothing wrong with that. We may, we're going to need a bigger space than this eventually. But our hope is as we grow, by God's grace, that we would see the Lord raise up another church planter. We would send them out to where there's need and where he's working already in Jeanette or wherever that might be, La Trobe. Now, we might be years from that. We may never see that, but we're working towards that. Because we don't think, man, the thing that we want to do is grow this big thing and then get a big thing so we can have more people come. No, we, we want to see it grow to a certain size and then say, all right, it's time for about 15 or 20 of you to leave and to go here and to work and to labor. So, so that's kind of who we are, but we're family first, right? So that's all introduction right? So you're like, oh my goodness, he preaches long already. We'll get there, I promise. But um, so Galatians, we're going to finish chapter one today, right? And you're like, oh good. I was like, we we're only doing like four verses at a time, but we're going to take a big chunk this morning and, and we're going to finish chapter one. Little refresher of where we've been. Paul 
preach the gospel. His, he would say his message is about the fact that God loves to save sinners. And he does it through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all who will call upon him, all who will trust in him, all who will believe in him will have salvation. That's his gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. Last week we talked about that because of that, you cannot distort this gospel and maintain this gospel. If you distort this gospel, you lose this gospel. If you lose this gospel, that's bad news for you. Because the only hope we have is the grace of God. And today you're going to see the Apostle Paul actually build on verse 1. So if you, if you have your Bible, look at verse 1 and, and see what it says. But he's going to, it's because he kind of just threw that out and then got right to it. But now he's going to come back to that and say, now here's why I can say I'm an apostle, not from men, but from God. Okay? And so that's, that's the whole thrust of the, the rest of chapter 1. Is that his authority, his message comes from the risen Christ, not from human beings. That's why he can speak with such authority. Right? So, look with me uh, in verses 11 and 12. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is working hard to make sure that the churches in Galatia know that they have indeed received the one true gospel. It's very important that, that they understand that. It appears that, that they, he needs to keep coming back to this because there's false teachers in Galatia. And, and they're saying that, essentially, if you look at verse 10, that Paul was a man pleaser. He was changing the message so that he could soften the message so that people in Galatia might actually like him and he could get their approval. But they're coming in saying that's not true. Now, it's, it's actually unclear as to what they're saying because the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly but I don't think it's hard to, to imagine they're saying something like this. You know, like, Paul, hey, he received this gospel from other apostles, right? He's not even a real apostle, right? He's not one of the ones who walked with, with Jesus. He's not one of the big 12, right? He's not one of the original disciples. He must be confused. So we're coming here to clean up his mess. That's really what's happening here. And you'll see that more as we go through the book of Galatians. But now Paul... He's making clear that his message, which is being called into question by the Judaizers and, and potentially even being deserted by some people in Galatia, that they would understand that this is not my imagination. It's, it's not that I'm confused. It's not a distortion. That, that what's happening, this is firsthand evidence because I received it, notice he says, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? I, I didn't go and study under the apostles and get it wrong. No, Jesus, he delivered me the news himself. <laughs> right? And you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. Um, but the point's clear that the gospel comes not from human imagination, but it, it comes from divine revelation. Right? So if I were to ask you right now, like, what color socks am I wearing? You all could guess. And you might even guess right. But unless I like lift up my pant leg and actually show you, you won't know. So, so what Paul's saying is this, this gospel message was revealed to me by Jesus himself. So if, if you're questioning what I'm saying, you're actually questioning the, the messenger. Who's the messenger? Jesus. Do you see his argument? But, but notice how he argues. He, he argues actually by telling his testimony. 
which I think is awesome, because testimonies can be a very powerful thing. He's saying, Jesus gave it to me directly. Let me tell you that story. And so the rest of the chapter, from 13 through 24, he's going to build his case and his message that his apostolic authority comes directly from the risen Christ by telling his testimony. So let's, let's jump into it, right? You, you may be sitting there and thinking of testimonies, your own testimony maybe. Or maybe you heard a, a really profound testimony that's very impactful to you. And, and, and they can be like that. If you've ever been to church gatherings, sometimes before they'll baptize people, people will tell their testimony. There are times where churches will have a particular Sunday where they might set aside even more time so people can tell the testimony of coming to faith to encourage the church. And, and many times these things can be very powerful uh, and they can point to the fact that, man, had not been for the grace of God, I'd not be standing here today loving Jesus, right? And it's, it's, all testimonies ought to make Jesus the hero. But there's times where I've been to gatherings where they'll tell a testimony, and, and I'm not picking on this, but it can get a little grimy, the, because they can actually start to elevate sin and themselves, and, and by the time you're done, you're confused as to whether Jesus is the hero or if this person is just so smart and almost good, so Jesus had to rescue me, of course. But Paul's not doing that. Paul's not sharing his testimony for general information or inspiration. He, he's... He's not even trying to point himself to us, or us to him, I guess, right? What he's doing, he wants to shut up those who are undermining his message. And how he does that is by talking about God's stunning grace. And you'll see it. He, so testimony, what is that? Life before, how I met Jesus, life after. It's as simple as that, right? You could say it as simple as that. Well, that's exactly what he does. So look at 13 and 14, and notice his need for grace. He's talking about his life before meeting Christ. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, beyond many of my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So, so Paul is a bad dude by his own admission right? Have you ever had someone, maybe you've even said it yourself, hey, I'd go to church, but if I went to church, the thing would burn down, right? You've, you've heard this. I know you're a pastor. Of course you've heard this. It sounds nice, but it's a load of BS, right? Because first off, you're not that bad. Most people, most people that say that are not that bad. Like they're junior varsity on the level of being bad. Paul persecuted the church violently, He's a bad dude. He mentions that. And, and by the way, in case we're, we're, we're not remembering, to persecute the church is to persecute God's people. And Jesus, when he interrupted Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, why are you persecuting me? So to mess with the church is to mess with Christ. You can't mess with the church and not mess with Jesus because Jesus is so devoted to his people, right? They're one. You're in him, right? So he says violently. He said, I try to destroy it. So, so we know from the book of Acts, which our, our church planting core group from January, just until we actually started to have public service, went through the book of Acts. And so we got to hear about how Paul was, he, he authorized the, the death and the stoning of Stephen, right? That he was dragging people off and, and committing them to prison and authorizing this. And he's actually on his way to get more authorization to continue to try to kill and to stamp out Christianity, or the way, which is what it was called at that point. We know from 1 Timothy, he referred to himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, the worst of sinners, 
right? So this is his life. Paul had done many terrible things. He, he was, essentially he was a terrorist. Think of it in that sense, right? He's, he's like a Jewish man on a jihad. That's really what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to stamp out all of Christianity. Yet Paul is also a very religious man. He'd done a lot of good things. And he knew it. He was proud of it. He, he was filled with arrogance about how great he was because of all his rule keeping. I was so extremely zealous to do all the traditions of my fathers, right? And, and so this man was running very hard after God. Little G God, in a sense. However, un unfortunately for him, he was running in the wrong direction. And he didn't know it. He did not know it. By the way, this reminds me of uh, an infamous wrong way run by Minnesota Vikings defensive and Jim Marshall in 1964, right? Growing up, we had this thing called VCRs. You, it was a thing. And you had this little tape, big tape, and you would put it in and it looked like it ate it and sometimes it did. But you would hit play and, and I, one of the tapes I loved, man, was this old NFL films and follies because it cracked me up. And I love football. I could not get enough of football. I could not get enough of sports. And so I'd watch it. But the follies cracked me up because these are real things, right? The joke's on you. So I remember this. I remember this so much because in a game against the San Francisco 49ers, Marshall scooped up Billy Kilmer's fumble, all right, that he, re he raced to the end zone, right? You can look this up on YouTube and you can see it. Unfortunately, Marshall had run the wrong way resulting in a safety for the 49ers. So Marshall commenting after the game, he said this. He said, my first inkling that something was wrong was when a 49ers player came up and gave me a hug in the end zone. <laughs> He's like, oh. And you can see it. You should watch it on YouTube. Because you could just see, like, just he thought he did something amazing. And he realized, not so much. And he went down in history. Here we are talking about him today. Here's the thing, though. Paul never did get the inkling. He didn't get it. He never thought there was something wrong because he was, he was convinced of his religion of self-righteousness. He was convinced that the way of God is this way. That's why he was running so hard at it. And it's terrifying if you can think about it because you and I could be so blinded, apart from God's grace, by our own religion that we think we're doing everything in the name of Jesus and totally miss the heart of Christ. That's why we need revelation. That's what, that's what Paul needed. That's what we need. We need, apart from God's grace, we can't see the gospel of grace. We can't believe the gospel of grace. We need sight. And, and only God can do that. John Stott, uh, in his commentary on Galatians, said this. He said about Paul, Now a man in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind, or even to have it changed for him by men. No conditioned reflex or other psychological device could convert a man in that state. Only God could reach him. And God did. End quote. How did he reach him? Grace, right? He called him. Revelation. And you see it, right? So here's where, where Paul would point to the change in moment. Look at verse 15 and much of 16. He says, but... And, and, man, I love this word in the Bible because when, when, it's, it's about to be a big change. This was my life before, but essentially saying, but God, when he, when God, who had set me apart before I was born, 
and called me by his grace, listen, was pleased to reveal his son to me. (laughs) I love that. The, The gospel is not a story about God meeting sinners halfway and then hoping you can finish the race. It's it's not like that at all. The gospel is much better than that, right? Notice this beautiful word, but. But God. If that word's not there, and and you'll see it, if you'll look for it all throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again, you'll see, I'm in the domain of darkness, but God transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. I was under his wrath, spiritually dead, but God, in his great mercy, in his grace, saved me, right? Over and over, and that's what we see here. Paul is running hard in the wrong direction, right? He's he's running towards eternal damnation. He thinks he's running towards God. He's not running towards God. He has no chance of a heavenly touchdown, to use the illustration. But but God plucks him up. He plucks him up. He was fighting God. He was under God's wrath. He thought he was doing these things in the name of God. But he was actually, he he was rebelling against him. And, and that's where he would have lived, that's where he would have died had God not interrupted his life. But God interrupted his life on the road to Damascus in utter helplessness by his grace, Jesus interrupted him. Jesus came on a rescue mission to seek and save sinners. Paul happened to be one of them. And you and I, if we're sitting here trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, you had a very similar inter- interaction with the Lord. You've seen, maybe not with your physical eyes, chances are you haven't, but you you heard the gospel and he awakened you. He caused you to see. He gave you spiritual sight. He revealed his love and his kindness to you. Or you're not sitting here trusting and believing in Christ. We need revelation. It comes through his word by his spirit. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. This is why we preach. This is why we share the gospel. The power of God is in the gospel. It is the power of God to all who believe. So we preach. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He does the same. Our salvation was, is, and always will be due entirely to God's free and unmerited intervention of grace. Or none of us have a chance. And you can see it so plainly at this testimony. Let's, let's just look at this verse a little bit more. God who had set me apart before I was born. Well, that's freaky. What does he even mean by that? Well, it, it, it's amazing to think about. I don't know when you came to faith. I came to faith at 22. was not looking for God. I was looking for a girl, right? And she said, hey, you want to go to church? By the way, that girl's my wife. And um, I said, no, I don't want to go to church. Like, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. And she's like, well, then you get no date with me. So we go to church. And for a year, I sat there and I thought, this is the dumbest thing ever. I really did. I didn't want to do any of this, but I did want to date her. So we'd go to Perkins and I'd tell her how dumb it was and all this. She should not have dated me. If you have daughters, tell them that, right? Like, but there I am. And a year later, not looking for Jesus, God in his kindness revealed Christ to me. I realized I'm a sinner and I'm in great need. And Jesus is my savior. And I put my faith and I put my trust in him. Why? Because I'm smart and I finally got it after a year? No, because of revelation. Because Jesus, through the preaching of the word, his spirit opened my eyes to see. 
That's what we need. That's exactly what Paul had. So you can think back over your own testimony. You can think back over your life before you came to faith. And that, for some of you, might, you might not even remember a time you don't love Jesus. Well, praise God. But this, that miracle still happened. You might not remember when it happened, but that happened. And it's no less of a miracle. I, I always am sad when people say, oh, I don't have a great testimony. Yeah, you do. Oh, because oh, you didn't smoke crack. Um, that's not a great testimony. No, it's a great testimony of God's grace to put you in a family who loved you and who taught you the, the good news of Jesus and that in his kindness, he saved you from sin. You were still a rebel. You might have been a five-year-old rebel, but you were still a rebel. And hopefully he saved you from a lifelong hurting of sin. So it's no less impressive. A miracle still has to happen. You, to be born again spiritually, you can't undermine that. You can't say, well, it, it wasn't that impressive. No, it's don't take away God's glory in saving you. Not that you could, but don't even try. Don't even try. It was a miracle of grace that he revealed himself to you, whether you were five, whether you were 50, whether you were 100. It still requires that. And he was always at work in your life. You didn't choose to be born in a family who loved Jesus, if that's your story. He puts you there. Well, that's working in your life long before you ever did it right? You, you live in a country where you have free access to the Bible. You can get it on your phone. You can get it in a book. We'll give you a Bible. Like, you can get it in so many different translations. You didn't choose that. God's working in your life. Why? Because he delights to save sinners. And the same was Paul. Long before he would ever come to trust in Christ, God was working. It's so good to know that we don't have a distant deity, you know what I mean? Like, he's just like waiting for us to recognize his greatness before he engages us. He, God's not like that at all. He's, he's actively seeking. God is always at work in the lives of people, right? In his creation. Why? Because he's, he's very much attentive to those he's, he's made in his image. Who's that? All humans. He's very active in their lives. God, in his kindness, was patient with this terrorist. Now, you can think about your own life. How patient has he been with you? It's good to reflect on these things. And if you can be honest, it, it, he didn't pick you because he didn't choose you. He didn't save you because in you he thought, well, there's, they're stunning. They're going to do some amazing work. Because you might think that about Paul. Because that makes sense, but that's not the case. Because if you were going to send Paul out, who would you send him to? You'd send him to the Jews. That's not what, that's not what Jesus did. I'm going to choose you. You're an instrument uh, chosen to tell of my good news to the world. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You know those ones you don't like? That's where you're going. And he did. How did he, how did he do it? Well, call, Look, it says, God who called me by his grace. Paul did not call out to Christ. Jesus called out to him. Don't miss that. Paul was not on the road to Damascus looking to find God. He was on the road looking to kill Christians. He wasn't hoping that this would be happening. He had no inkling. It took the divine grace of God to move Paul from the ranks of self-righteous, religious person, hating and terrorizing the church of God to be a redeemed, saved sinner who would do nothing but spend the rest of his life to be a church-planting missionary to preach the good news and to see churches birth so that he then could spend the rest of his time raising up elders so that they could have a healthy church so that he could go to the next town and tell more people about this glorious God who rescued him. That's what he would do. Grace is free. 
That's the unmerited favor of God. It's powerfully working in the heart and the mind of Paul when Paul wanted nothing to do with Jesus. So the Bible over and over again is filled with stories like this. Sinners who, who desperately need rescued but don't know it and don't care. And God in his kindness, through his grace, through his mercy, offers forgiveness through his son. Not because of their goodness, but because of the goodness and grace of God. And this is the God we worship. This man was full of pride. This man was full of hate. His sins were enormous. He was fighting hard against Jesus, and yet God still loved him and called him. No, no humans would make this gospel up. Look at every other religion. Every other religion is about essentially evolving to God, doing enough things so that God will then love you. Christianity is about God loves you while you're a weak, ungodly sinner and reveals his son to you. Why? Because you're awesome? No, because he's awesome. This word called is very important because it's effectual, right? If God says something, it happens. When God says, let there be light, there's light, right? When, when God tells the storm to knock it off, it has no choice. It knocks it off, and now the water is like glass, right? This is wildly different than you and I calling someone right? Shoot a text message. They might respond. They might not respond. You holler upstairs and say, hey, honey, it's time for dinner. Come down. They might come down eventually, right? And chances are the food's cold. I remember my mom would call me from the outside. She would holler out the window. She'd say, Scott, it's time to come up here. Time to wash up. And I would eventually come in and it was generally a lot later than what she wanted. That's not how it works with God. Her, her, my mom's calling never almost never, gave her the desired outcome she was hoping for when she would say it. But God doesn't work like that. It's never like that with God. When, when Jesus says to Lazarus, come out, Lazarus doesn't need coaxing. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't need to go and say, come on, buddy, and rouse him up, like, you know, take some bandages off. No, he, he comes. He, he has to go. Why? Because when God says something, it happens. Because God's call is powerful. It's effective. And so God called Paul on the Damascus road. All right, all right, you got it, right? But why? Why would he do that? Why would God choose Paul? Maybe it's because, and, and I, get, I, I get this from, from Philippians, right? Maybe it's because he had an impressive beginning, right? Maybe God was impressed. He was circumcised on the eighth day, and if you're not a Jew, that might not mean much to you, but that's a big deal. What would that look like today? I, I don't know. Maybe you're naturally birthed in a pool by a lady and it's like holy water and they baptize you and the doctor spanks you and the first word you say is Jesus. Maybe. Maybe it's that, right? Um, he had an impressive nationality. Maybe it's because of that, right? He was from the nation of Israel. Today that's like being from Texas, the great country of Texas, right? It's God's favorite country. Um, and I know it's a state, but they think it's a country. And it's bigger than some countries, a lot of countries, actually. Maybe it's because he's from the tribe of Benjamin, right? And maybe, what's that look like? Well, you're Billy Graham's closest relative, right? Um, he, he, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, what would that look like today? He's homeschooled by Billy Graham, right? Um, he, as to the law of the Pharisees, right? He's, what's that mean? Um, you only ever watch Veggie Tales and, and sung Kumbaya right? I don't know what that would look like today. He was a persecutor of the church. What would that look like? You go on Facebook and tell everybody how much they've lost it, 
right? They just don't see it. Um, Twitter, whatever's in today. Um, Paul had a, quite a resume, and none of those things are why God saved Paul. None of those things. You and I are not saved because of what we have done or haven't done in order to please God. You, he, he doesn't save us because he sees potential in us. He doesn't save us because we'll eventually be serviceable to him. He needs us. God doesn't need anything. It's simply because, and listen to these words, God was pleased to do so. And man, don't miss that word pleased. He didn't begrudgingly save Paul. Well, I, I got to do this. He don't, he don't got to do that. He, he was pleased to do it. He delighted to save Paul. Angels rejoiced at that moment. It, God set his loving grace on sinners. Now take it out of the realm of Paul. Think about you. Do you ever think about the fact that if you're sitting here in Christ, it's by grace and that God was pleased to save you? He, he was pleased to save you. He didn't be like, ah, I got to rescue. No, he delighted to rescue. He delighted to reveal himself to you. He delighted to bring you into his family. He was pleased to save you, me, Paul. He loves to save sinners because it's all there is. And he, and he loves to, he still does this, by the way. I mean, I know we get this. Sometimes I don't think we believe it. Sometimes I don't think we believe it. I, th I think we sometimes get that, yeah, God still saves sinners, but not that guy, not that girl. I remember going to a church gathering one time, and there was a girl there that went to my high school. And she's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, hey, nice to see you too. I hadn't seen her for a long time. And I said, I'm, I'm here to worship Jesus. You're saved? I said, I'm shocked too. I guess I, I guess I was voted least likely to be saved in high school. I didn't know this. And she's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what to say to that. But as I got older and I started to understand what, what really happened in the gospel, I felt bad for her because she didn't understand the gospel. And I know because she went to our church for years. And I finally got to have dinner with her one night with my wife and with her husband. And she brought the topic up again. And I said, why are you so surprised? Why would you be surprised that God would save me? Do you think it's because you grew up in a rural town with a mom and dad who loved Jesus? That's why you came to faith? And then I laid it on her. I said, you should never be surprised when God saves. This is what he does. It's who he is. This is what he loves to do. This is why we, we literally sold the house we built 19 years ago to move to a city because we believe that Jesus has people in the city of Greensburg who do not know him and that if man in his kindness he would just work through us in this way that he will rescue people he will save them because there's people in this city who he's going to call when we share the gospel we just believe that that's why we moved here it's why you moved here. It's why everyone that is a part of this church came. And we want more people like that because we literally believe that God is in the business of saving sinners. It's what he does. Until Jesus returns and rips open the sky, steps back into human history, raises the living and the dead, and judges them, those who are in Christ to eternal life, those who are not in Christ to eternal damnation, our work is simple. It's simple. It seems so overwhelming. But it's, you walk with God, 
You love God. You love Jesus, right? You love the church. You love the world. How do you love the world? By serving them and sharing the good news with them and trusting that God will do what only he can do because you and I have no ability to save anyone, but God, he delights to save. He's pleased to save. He's not, he's not like, oh, not that. Don't talk to that person. Oh, no, talk to that person. I know that person. I knit that person in their mother's womb. I knew them before they existed. Think about that the rest of your life. Well, that's Jesus. That's not God of the old Bible. People think that. People think that. Well, they, they think, well, he was just angry, and then he chilled out. But, but listen to Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. You can turn there, or you can just listen to what I'm reading and then check it later. He says, for you are a people, talking about Israel, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Listen, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, it's not because of any of these things. It's because the Lord loves you. This kind of love is actually out of this world. Meaning it's completely antithetical to the way we love. And if you, if you love like this, you don't do that. That's God in you doing that. That's, that's not your nature. It's not my nature to love like that. Even on my best days, I'm not loving like that. Like many times we love those who love us or those whom we want to love us, right? And so we generally will love out of need to get love. And if you love me in return, I'll love you in return. And so it's more like two ticks, no dog, right? We're just sucking the life out of each other. But that's not how God loves. Because he don't need. He doesn't need to, to, he'll need anything from you. He just, he simply loves you. Because he loves you. And he's pleased to do it. He loves to do it. That's the only kind of love you and I could ever be secure in. Because it's the only kind of love we could not possibly lose. I'm not very secure in my marriage. But eventually one of us are going to die. Right? And, and then I won't be here or she won't be here to love like that. The love that we have with God is forever. It never ends. Marriage will end. It will. The Bible tells us that. That might make you sad. Well, that's good. You have a good marriage. But you won't be sad on that day. You, you won't be sad on that day, I promise you, because you have a love that, that's unwavering. The Lord has fixed his love upon you. It never ends. It does not change because it's not based on your behavior. That's what Paul's saying. Well, what about the New Testament? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this, For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what's our description? Weak, ungodly. Sounds like a good bride. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But, but God shows, displays, reveals what? His love for us when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
The, cro- the cross, man, is, is where the wrath of God and the love of God kiss. It's where we can understand his, his perfect, righteous justice and his love for sinners, right? It, it's stunning when you think about it because you and I, man, we, most of us probably wouldn't die for, for somebody that, like, maybe, maybe your kids, maybe your spouse, not much more than that. But, but you wouldn't die for your enemy. You wouldn't die for the person. You, okay, Osama bin Laden, which basically was Paul. You, you wouldn't die for that man. But you and I are much more like Osama bin Laden than God. And, and Jesus went to the cross to die for people like that. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm not like that. You're like that in the eyes of God. You are an enemy. And Jesus became an enemy in your place. In your place. What did you do? All you did was add for the need for salvation. Meaning you sinned. You rebelled. That's all you did. Christ did everything. And now we trust him. I hope that when you hear that, man, your heart's like, and I'm talking emotions, is like, thank you, Lord. Because if not, then, I mean, I don't know. But I'd be concerned for you. Because you're not saved because you, you raised your hand or you went down an aisle or you signed a card. and Like, you are saved because in a, in a moment of, of a miracle, you saw Christ as beautiful. As stunning. The, the cross and, and what Christ had done became so real to you. It's like he's there in the flesh. And, and you said, oh, I want you. I need you. Oh, God, save me. That's revelation. If you say, no, it's because on this day I did this thing. I'm not saying you're not saved because I'm not God. I'm just saying, ask God for more sight, for illumination. Ask him to help you see Jesus as the true treasure of your heart. God, we need eyes like that. Our Savior is beautiful. And to see him as such took revelation. God had to reveal Jesus to you through the preaching and teaching. This is way different than what the Judaizers were teaching, by the way. They were teaching religion that says, do this, get this, right? They were teaching that, yeah, yeah, Jesus died and rose, but now you've got to admit that you're a really nasty person, and then you've got to try really hard to clean up your act. You've got to start doing these things. By the way, this kind of junk is preached in churches all over the place. And it's garbage. It's not the gospel. Yeah, like Jesus saved you now. If it's, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Like, it's like Nike. Just do it. You, you can't just do it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. The, the gospel is, is, is not like that at all. It's Christ has done everything, and now I trust him. And even, I'm going to use a big word, but then I'll explain it. So Even our sanctification, which is the process of us becoming more like Christ, is all grace. It's all grace. We, we participate, but, if, but God does that. He who began the good work is faithful to bring it to completion. So when we read Romans and we see that we have been justified, declared righteous in the sight of God because Christ died for sinners, and that we are sanctified and being sanctified, we're equally holy in the sight of God and sinner now, but, but in God's sight, we have the complete perfect righteousness of Christ, right? All those things. You will be glorified. 
It's done. It's done as though it's already happened in the sight of God. It's not that we've got to finish the thing. No, it's faith. I'm going to trust that you've done this. And, and, and what makes us more like Christ? God, His Spirit. We're going to read that in Galatians over and over. But it's, it's seeing Christ as beautiful. It's, it's that. Because you become what you behold. I used to wear like fedoras and have a whip because I loved Indiana Jones when I was younger. That's true. That's weird, right? Like, but, but I idolized him. I wanted to be like him. Why? Because I thought he was amazing. I was stunned. When we see Christ as, as he is, we want to be like him. Not so he'll love us, but because he does love us, that's what makes him so beautiful to us, to our eyes, when we see him. So we need more of that. The gospel of grace is so much different than do this and be loved. You don't have to do better. You couldn't do better even if you tried to do better before salvation. Jesus had to interrupt your life. He did everything perfectly. He died in your place. He resurrected in your place. Now you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You now have the perfect righteousness of Christ. You're not only pardoned, you're fully forgiven. As far as the east is to the west, all your sins are gone. They were swallowed up in the death of Christ. And in his resurrection, now you have real righteousness, right standing. That's the only reason we can go to the throne of grace. And isn't it good to know that Jesus loves to reveal himself to fools? Jesus loves to reveal himself to failures. Jesus loves to reveal himself to religious frauds. Jesus loves to reveal himself to the worst of sinners. Jesus loves to reveal himself to enemies. Jesus delighted and was pleased to reveal himself to you. To you. And you have friends who don't know him. Can I tell you, he's delighted to reveal himself to them. Question, do you marvel at the fact that God delighted to reveal Jesus to you in order to save you. Ask yourself that. Do you believe he can save the grimiest of sinners and the most self-righteous religions person? Ask yourself that. My hope is that you'll say yes. And if you do, if you do say yes, praise God, and now know that that's going to affect everything about your life. And you see that. Look at the, we're, we're going to look at the last point. It's the fruit of grace. Look at 16, the second half, to 24. And I'm just going to read it and we're, we're going to finish out. Why did, okay, so, so he was pleased. For no other reason did, did God reveal his son to Paul than he was pleased to do so. But notice this. It was also so that he would preach. Look, he said, in order, and this is for Paul, in order that I might Preach him among the Gentiles. Anytime you see the word in order, I did this in order that, right? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Three years, I, after, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. I remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He's making a solemn vow. He's like, listen, I'm telling you the absolute truth. 
Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown to the person in churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, listen, they were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God. He says because of me, but but what he's saying is because of what happened to me. Because of what God did. The gospel, listen, it creates an entire new way of life and affects literally everything about us. There's not one area of your life that should not be touched. It's so very important to understand that, yes, we are saved from Satan's sin and death. And there's sometimes I think people can terminate on that, and that's where they end. But you've actually been saved for. You've been saved for God. You've been saved for mission. Right? It's not, I get saved, and then I just kind of do the things I want to do until the Lord Jesus returns, and I go to get my little wings and live with him and walk on streets of gold. It's not like that. He... He saves you, not because he needs you, but he's so kind to bring you into the work he's doing of saving other people. And that's a kindness. Like, it's going, I'm going to work with dad today. What does that look like? He does all the heavy lifting. He just asked me to trust him. That's what's really what he does. We're saved by faith and by grace alone, yes, but, but not a faith that remains alone. Not a faith that remains alone. True grace will always lead to a transformed life. If you live long enough, it will. And I'm not saying you're saved because your life's been transformed. I'm saying if you're saved, you will be transformed. There's a big difference. When the Apostle Paul went from terrorist to evangelist, it wasn't when he did that that he got saved. But his conversion, our conversion, comes with a commission. King Jesus says, now you get to be my ambassador. You are my son. You get to represent me. You are my daughter to the world. Everywhere you go, if you go to the white rabbit, you represent me. Every time you order whatever, you know, latte or whatever drink you enjoy, you're talking to someone made in my image. Make sure you represent me well. This is what it means. And it only makes sense, right? Because we all share things we're excited about, don't we? Right? Like, like think about it. There are people this week, probably, especially this weekend, talking about how the Greensburg-Salem Lions, the Golden Lions, devoured, feasted upon those little Indians from Indiana. Right? You know people are doing it. I posted about it. By the way, so, so I loved it. By the way, Chris, my man. So Chris put on there that they, the Indians were going to win, and I thought, well, this is good, because generally when Chris p- picks the other team... I, I run to the bank and put it all on the opposite team. I'm just kidding. But it happened in a couple NFL games. And, but the little Indians, they're sad because they got devoured. But people are hyped up about that. They're talking about that right now. I guarantee it. Did you see the game? 35 to 14, man. It was amazing. It was stunning. You should have been there. We were there. It was awesome. Or how about you, you go and, and you go to the Sundog Cafe. If you haven't been there, do that. It's a great place to be. Rachel, welcome me. She's the owner. Her husband's a great chef. And you're just bragging it up. I mean, I've, I've converted more people to Sundog than I have, I think, anything else since I got to Greensburg. Lord help me, right? Or, or you go and you get a, a, a beautiful beverage and Tommy, the owner of White Rabbit, he just serves you, right? Whatever it is you're passionate about, you talk about. We're all evangelists for something. What we need is we need to see Christ as he is. And when you do, you cannot shut up. You can't. 
It's going to come out. And so it only makes sense that when, this is why we look to the gospel of grace. This is why we sing the gospel. This is why we pray the gospel. Why we preach the gospel. Because you and I over and over again need to hear that Christ died for sinners. Who I am. And you are too. And if it were not for him doing that, you and I would have no chance. Because otherwise you're just going to start becoming religious. And the gospel keeps us grounded. It keeps us where we need to be. And that's amazed with God. Not amazed with ourselves. Not amazed with the fact that we've read our Bibles for 583 days straight. And my phone tells me that now. Right? And that's good. Read your Bible. Read. Why do you read? So you can see more of the beauty of Christ. That's why. God in his kindness reveals Jesus to us. And when he does, he desires to reveal Jesus through us. Think about that. You know, Levi and Bridget, I'm looking at them now, right? They're teachers. I trust that when students interact with them, they're meeting people who have met God. I just trust that. I know that. I know the character. I know the quality, right? And that doesn't mean you always get it right, but when you blow it, you say, I'm sorry. I blew it. Aren't you glad? Especially with kids. Uh, this happens, right? Often. Um, especially in teen years. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that, that my daughter has a God in heaven who's perfect. Who's perfect because I'm not. And you're not either. So we're not pointing people to us. We're pointing people to the one who can actually save them. And so as a church body, that's what we seek to do. So listen, as, as we go... From here today, we're going to go, and we're going to the Green Beacon. There's going to be a, a party there, I guess. A block party or a street party, what do they call it? Party, party. A parking lot party. Someone put... Uh, um, so we're going to go there, and they're going to have a rock and roll band there. And I can't even say their name. can't. It's, it's got some language in it. And, but it's got dinosaurs. That sounds cool. <laughs> And everybody likes dinosaurs, right? Because they're not on the earth anymore chewing on you. Um, why would a church go there after gathering? My question is, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I would encourage everyone to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, over and over, and just for no other reason to look at who Jesus hung out with. You might be shocked. I bet he was rocking out to the blank dinosaurs, right? Now, he might not have been excited about the name, but he was excited about the people playing the instruments. And he loves to reveal himself to them. So we're going to go there. And we're going to set up a, a couple canopy tents. And we're going to invite kids to come and, and Play some games, right? Hannah's got a whole thing planned out for us. But while we're there, we're interacting with people. Why? Because we trust that God's going to reveal himself through us to them for his glory. And so if you're going, see you there. If you're not going, please pray. Please pray for us that the Lord would reveal his son to them, right? And so let me pray. I'm going to invite Kevin up. And then our rhinestone cowboy, he's got to run because he's got a wedding. So will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you 
that you are pleased to reveal Jesus to us. We're thankful that you, in your kindness, sought us, came near us, uh, opened our eyes. We were, we were hell-bent and running from you, and you tracked us down. The hound of heaven came and, and revealed himself to us. And it's by sheer grace that we see you as beautiful. It is sheer grace that we saw ourselves as under your wrath and in danger, in great need of salvation. It was sheer grace that, Lord, that you and your kindness went to the cross and absorbed the wrath of the Father, defeating Satan's sin and death and triumphantly resurrecting from the grave so that sinners like us might trust and put our faith in you. You became sin on our behalf so that sinners might have the righteousness of God and be born again to eternal life and have life with you, life that's forever. And you give us your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that, that right now, as we stand here in Christ, Lord, we are fully forgiven. We are fully loved. We are fully righteous because of everything Christ has done. And that that news would actually well up into our hearts and, and bear fruit. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that would keep us from enjoying you more and loving this world more, I pray that you would prune it out. I pray that you'd cut it out. Lord, that you would help us to be, to be a holy people because we're a holy people in Christ. And so God, give us much grace to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.